Welcome to the Combat Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. If you aren't already, please go to combatlearning.com slash newsletter to get subscribed to updates on the podcast and training resources. To say thanks, I'll give you my transfer cheat sheet, a simple list of do's and don'ts for how to design your practice activities for maximum effectiveness. If you've ever wondered if your training methods are going to transfer to competition or self-defense, this cheat sheet is for you. Plus, I'll send you my little ebook, An Introduction to Motor Learning for Martial Arts, to get you up to speed on what we're talking about. Go to combatlearning.com slash newsletter to claim that now. Today, I'm joined by Nick Delgadillo, a starting strength coach, head of corporate development at Starting Strength, and a lifelong martial artist. In this episode, Nick unpacks common misconceptions about strength training and how conditioning works for most athletes in combat sports. He introduces us to the so-called two-factor model of strength and conditioning for sports. Rather than spread your precious workout time across a multitude of accessory exercises, he argues that most martial artists are better served by moving up their numbers on the big four compound lifts, which are the back squat, the bench press, the overhead press, and the deadlift. This keeps conditioning work and sport-specific work properly separated. Nick also gives tips on how to balance novice programming with the steep recovery demands of combat sports practice. If you're looking for a simple way to improve your performance on the mat, this episode is for you. Also, this is a special topic. The Combat Learning Podcast is and will remain focused on perceptual motor learning. But I thought this would be a welcome and insightful pattern break from the usual episode subject matter. So if you're excited to jump in, hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Um, so I, some of my listeners, I think, will, be, will recognize you. They'll know who you are. But for those of them that don't, uh, introduce us to your background in martial arts as well as strength. Yeah, sure. Uh, I got, uh, I'm Nick Delgadillo, by the way. I uh, started in martial arts. So my, my, my strength training um, journey or development, I guess you could say, is largely a result of, of uh, my martial arts experience. So uh, my lifting experience uh, started in high school with, uh, with off-season football. So I played football in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as my freshman year of football season was over, the coaches said, hey, we're, uh, we, we lift weights after school. Um, if you want to be good, you got to lift weights. So I wanted to be good. So I started lifting weights. And that, that was uh, transformative for me, I would say, because as a 13-year-old kid going and doing something physical that was difficult and getting excited about it and learning just as a, just by way of doing, doing the process, uh, learning that I had control over a, uh, over a process in, in so much that I get out of it, what I put into it was, was really, really valuable. So I think that was uh, looking back on my life, uh, that those four years that I spent playing football and lifting and, and, and getting, getting strong and watching my performance improve on the field based on how hard we worked in the off season in the gym, uh, was huge. Uh, you know, it made me realize as a, as a young kid that, uh, I could, I could pretty much learn how to do stuff and I could, I could, uh, I could get better at stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, year, years past, I just like every 
dude, I think probably has had some pasting interest, at least in martial arts. And I got into Thai boxing in my early twenties. Uh, never had done any martial arts before that. Just, uh, 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 just, but, but always kind of had an interest, right? So, uh, I got into martial arts. I got into, into Muay Thai and submission grappling, um, mm. started teaching then I, I'd always liked teaching and coaching. Even, even in the, in the high school days, I was, uh, I was always, coaching the younger lifters and, and people would, I, I became these, it's weird how this happens, but people just <laughs> start asking me questions, you know, like, I'm, yeah. like I knew something. So yep. they would ask me questions and I got, I, I, I liked explaining things and I liked, I, I was really always interested in, in how processes, uh, especially learning processes work. So, uh, <clears throat> so I always liked coaching, always liked teaching. So, uh, pretty soon after I started martial arts, uh, after I started Muay Thai, I started teaching and coaching and, and doing security work and doing uh, bouncing uh, at bars in downtown St. Louis uh, and and that kind of stuff. So that that was my entry into the into the sort of self defense world, um, but just as a result of the people I was around and, and what we were doing at the time. Uh, and this would have been this would have been the early two thousands. So uh, I got into into martial arts and and weapons and uh, you know learning learning how to shoot a pistol and uh, carrying knives and carrying silly stuff like uh, expandable batons and, you know, all the <laughs> stuff doing, doing security work that yeah. uh, I, I really at the time didn't know how to use properly. Uh, and I'm, I'm consider myself lucky that I didn't get more hurt than I, uh, than, than I did <laughs> doing stuff like this. But um, so, so that, so through Muay Thai, um, I got into the security work and the uh, self-defense stuff, teaching people, teaching people how to do security too. So I, I started getting into the security world, and then uh, I started. I, I hooked up with some uh, Krav Maga guys, and I started teaching Krav Maga uh, about four or five years after I started getting into martial arts. So I started mm -hmm. uh, teaching that. That would have been like oh four oh five ish, and I I was in that world uh, sort of for a very long time. So. Um, I realized that it, that it, uh, what I was teaching wasn't that great. So I would, <laughs> I would seek out the, uh, the people who I thought were doing better and mm -hmm. were thinking about things because it's like, it's like with anything and especially things that get popular. Um, there's only going to be a few people who are thinking and questioning and advancing, uh, advancing what's actually going on, especially with something that gets really big and huge and popular. Uh, yeah. Everybody, everybody kind of settles into a comfortable way of doing things. So, um, I was never, I was never that kind. I was, I was thought about what I was doing and questioned, and always thought about uh, better ways to to teach and better ways to do things and what actually works. Because I, I actually had a genuine interest in not just being a self defense instructor, but actually being, uh, actually making people uh, better. And actually teaching something that was that was real and useful. Um, a lot of, a lot of people, I think, just based on my experience, are quick to separate um, something that they are doing. For example, I'm teaching self defense, but this is the version that I teach people, like normal people. Yeah, and this is the version that I teach the heavy hitters, like the like the people who really want to go. And I don't think that's necessary. I think it's I think it's totally reasonable to to blend the two together and teach actual useful things to everybody, even if they're not athletically gifted or or uh, or mentally, you know, uh, ready to just get in and fight every single day. So uh yeah, through through Krav Maga, we uh we I started jujitsu. Um we had a jujitsu program at our school and I uh, I really, really enjoyed jujitsu because here I was after 
now five or six years of 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 fighting, you know, Muay Thai and and uh, sparring and doing submission grappling and stuff. And then I meet uh, my first jujitsu coach, uh, J.W. Wright in St. Louis, and uh, he he was less than half my size. And uh, the first class I took, he basically threw me over his head, and. Uh, <laughs> and just handled me like I was a child. And it was, uh, it was amazing. You know, I was like, this yeah. is the coolest thing I've ever done. Uh, I need to learn how to do this. So, uh, that was it, man. Uh, I, I, because, because with somebody who, um, who being somebody who thought I, who thought me being someone that I thought was a capable fighter. Right. So, so here I am, I know how to fight, um, to have somebody just, wipe the floor completely with me and just effortlessly that first, the first day. Um, I, I hoped, I think, or expected that it would have been a little bit more trouble for him. So, uh, and I think <laughs> W at the time was like, a, I think he was a brown belt. I don't know if he had his black belt at the time yet. Um, so, uh, so that was awesome, man. And then, and then I met other guys, you know, some, a lot of his coaches, the guy who actually ended up teaching for us was a, was a purple belt and he was over 300 pounds and, and he, he just moved so smooth and so clean so technical. So the whole thing just totally appealed to me. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to, to, to jujitsu. And, uh, so yeah, man, the years progressed. I taught people, I moved further and further away from, from, uh, Krav Maga and the way that, uh, most people think of Krav Maga and just kind of started integrating things, um, based on, based on what I knew worked and integrated wrestling and integrated mm -hmm. grappling and a lot of clinch fighting. And then, uh, during uh, during those years, I uh, was looking for through through teaching classes. I was teaching I was teaching lots of classes. So teaching lots of self defense classes, lots of uh, conditioning classes. Because when you have a, a busy school with lots of members, they want to do fitness stuff. So you're you're teaching fitness stuff. And I started getting uh, personal training clients as a result of this. So just doing really silly things like uh, you know slamming medicine balls and flipping tires and uh, <laughs> and and and. and doing stuff with kettlebells and, and, uh, you know, all the, the, the functional fitness stuff was just getting started. And there were guys out there who were doing really, really cool looking things and, um, and, and just really intense conditioning workouts that look like, that feel like fighting, right. Cause they, they make you tired. So I did a lot of that stuff and I was looking for some kind of a fitness certification. And, uh, I, I, at kind of at the same time I got into CrossFit and uh, was looking into getting certified to CrossFit or, or uh, CrossFit football, um, John Wellborn's thing at the time. Uh, I, that really appealed to me because it it had barbells, and I remembered barbells from back in the high school days. So uh, I, I got back into barbells through CrossFit, and then I found uh, Rips Ripito's videos on the on CrossFit. So he was the at the time he was the barbell guy. He was the strength guy for CrossFit, and uh, and his videos were just head and shoulders about any other content that, that uh, CrossFit was producing um, in terms of just ex explanation and analyzing what's going on. So um, I bought his book or I, I got his book from the library and, uh, and read it. And uh, yeah, just decided that um, by that time I was kind of programming my own CrossFit workouts, which doesn't really mm -hmm. Much because CrossFit, you know, honestly, if we're being honest with ourselves, you can really do whatever you want and call it CrossFit. Yeah. Uh, so, but I was, I was, I was programming my own CrossFit workouts and then I started incorporating some strength work into those based on what I saw, uh, that John, that CrossFit football that John Wellborn and his crew were doing. So I was doing like a, a heavy lift and then like a short 
wad after the the heavy lift. Um, and then when I found out about starting strength through CrossFit, basically through the forums, through the CrossFit forums, um, I, I decided, okay, let's, uh, let me focus on this for a little bit. And I started running the starting strength program and I did it wrong and did it badly like everybody does. Um, but, I, but I made some, some strength gains and, and it was uh, very productive. So like just getting, getting just even a little bit stronger made for the first time made everything feel easier, which doesn't mm-hmm. really happen when, cause I was doing CrossFit heavily, like three times, three days on one day off thing, doing the, the workout that was on the website. And even though I felt like I was in good shape, um, I wasn't, um, yeah, I remember going to, to roll with some guys and, uh, essentially all it did was allow me to learn how to make myself tired faster because that's the pull. Of, of minutes, the first minute I was just like completely gassed and, uh, I'd never felt that way before ever, you know, and I, and I'd been at this point rolling for quite a bit and, uh, but, but strength training was the opposite. You know, I did almost no additional conditioning and, uh, and had some serious benefits in terms of, in terms of performance, um, on the mat and everything else I was doing. So, um, so anyway, uh, through, by doing the program, I started, I started coaching people that, right. I started, started getting the strength in terms of coaching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, pretty soon after that, I started looking into certifying with uh, starting strength. I went to a couple of, of, uh, workshops and seminars. Um, and then I went and got my certification in 2011 and, uh, that was it, man. You know, after that, uh, um, the, the years that I spent teaching normal people, uh, how to punch and kick and grapple, um, with another human being, uh, I've made me into the coach that I am today. So, uh, because I can, uh, you know, uh, teaching, teaching people how to fight is far more complicated than teaching somebody how to move a barbell. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just more va- variables involved with it. So, uh, the barbell training thing, uh, f- felt right. And it, it, uh, it made sense. So I started coaching that. And then I started helping out with the seminars and with starting strength workshops. And, uh, a few years later, here I am, um, at the home base, uh, doing a bunch of stuff for starting strength. So, yeah. And then, and then now, you know, it's been, it's been seven years or so since I've been here, you know, it, my whole life up to seven years ago was having a day job and then doing fit fitness or strength training and self-defense stuff on the side. Right. So before mm-hmm. work, after work on the weekends. Um, so, uh, the last five or six years here with starting strength, we've been working a lot on, on just building, building the brand. We've got the gyms now. We've got the franchise gyms now. We've got affiliates. Uh, we've got certifications and stuff like that. So um, all that stuff is off and running and we're constantly getting, making it better and working on it. It's a lot of work. But, um, you know, here over the last two, three years or so, um, uh, after finding um, Craig, Craig Douglas and Cecil Birch and, and all these guys that, that we all know and train with, um, and we give our money to Tom Givens, you know, uh, I always miss people. So I, I, I try to, throw <laughs> up. um, but, but you know, th- there's this whole community, this whole world of people who are doing things correctly. Basically everything that I was looking for, for the first 15 years that I was involved with, with self-defense and with fitness, um, it's, it's, it's already here and, uh, and it's, it's fantastic. So, um, it's pretty exciting because now, um, it's all kind of there and, uh, People have a have a, a resource or have the ability to find good, useful training done by really good people 
um, who know what the hell they're talking about and actually care about doing things correctly, not stroking their own egos. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and it's been fantastic. So, you know, um, my, my whole thing now is, is, uh, trying to talk to people about why, you know, doing jujitsu, learning how to shoot a gun, um, are not enough. Like you, the, the third element of that is fitness and fitness for most people, most of the time means getting stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're doing, if you're already doing jujitsu, you're, you're meeting all of your conditioning and coordination and all the other needs that you need in terms of, uh, in terms of strength and conditioning that don't involve using a barbell, right? So if you want to be efficient, if you want to do things, um, in the most efficient way possible in the way that saves your joints, um, for long-term health, uh, barbells are the way to go. So, and, and, and barbells pro done correctly, right. With efficient technique and programmed correctly. So those are the mm -hmm. two things that, that, that we do that, that starting strength does. Um, so it's cool that I've been able to, to mix my, like my love for, for self-defense and fighting with, uh, with my love for coaching people, um, and, and helping people learn how to get stronger and, and making their lives better through strength training. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, uh, th that's kind of where we're at right now is, uh, especially, especially for me, right? There's nobody like everybody here. A couple guys have dabbled with uh, with martial arts and, and mm -hmm. MMA and stuff like that. Uh, everybody in Texas shoots, right? Um, right. Very few of them shoot well, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm 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 the only one kind of in this circle that uh, at least here at the home base that that is involved in in all aspects of that stuff. Sure. Yeah, that's definitely that's why I wanted to have you on because I know that you have a background in both, and uh, your background in martial arts is actually more extensive than I thought it than I thought it was, but. I know you've done jujitsu for a while and you're like a purple belt or a brown belt now. Brown belt. Yeah. Brown belt. Okay, cool. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah. The, it's really, it's funny that you, um, people that listen to the podcast know that I hate Krav Maga. <laughs> 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 um, I, I always say that Krav Maga is the CrossFit of martial arts. Exactly right. That's and what then I, I was, And then yeah. I say that, cro that CrossFit is the Krav Maga of strength and conditioning. Right. <laughs> But, yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's really funny. It's cool. And you got beyond it and you kind of went in the same trajectory I did. I'm not particularly, I don't really do a lot of combatives, but I've researched self-defense for a long time. And, um, I kind of went through the same thing. I was like, thought Krav Maga was the bee's knees. I come from a traditional martial arts background. So I just heard all, just everything you could, all, everything wrong you could possibly hear about how right. self-defense works. Right. Um, and then I realized Krav Maga, I was like, this, this is actually almost literally just karate without keys on like you even do the one steps for the most part right and then i realized that there was a problem with not just i mean they teach you how to punch and they teach you how to kick and that's fine right that's not necessarily wrong but like a lot of the escapes are like very bad the knife defense is very bad and the reason why they're bad is because of the training is bad the training is not um uh, you don't interact with another body the way that you do in jujitsu so you just don't know the timing and you don't know how hard it is to hold on to somebody's you know wrist yep. or something or things like right. that. But yeah. So I, so speaking of my background, in traditional martial arts, all the way through my twenties, I'm 31 now. So all the way up into probably my late twenties, I was always under the impression that all you had to do was calisthenics or you just had to do martial arts or your technique just had to be better. So before we get into that too much, like what is strength so that we can dispel any mis misconceptions there first. Like what is strength? What, like there's people try to define it in different ways. Like what is it at sure. base? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just real quick it, it, in, in defense. So, you know, uh, I, I like CrossFit. So CrossFit has, has, um, in a lot of ways made 
what we do with starting strength possible, right? Because sure, yeah. um, what you know, you're you're you said you're 31, so you might you might not remember like late night infomercials TV that much, but like every infomercial when I was growing up as a kid, fitness was a machine. Yeah, you know, you do three days three days a week, 20 minutes, and then and then they show like some fitness model doing this thing, um, and then and then like P90X came out. <laughs> and they showed like sweaty people yeah. hopping around and doing things and like dudes yelling and stuff. And it became cool to like work hard, you know? And I think, I think, uh, I think CrossFit, uh, take, took that concept, um, whether they realize it or not. Right. But took that. And, and so P90X kind of laid the groundwork for like fitness is difficult, right? Fitness is not easy. Um, and then CrossFit just like, just like tripled down on that, you know? So, um, so the fact that the, the fact that, um, thousands, millions probably of people have touched a barbell again. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have like all this equipment behind me is readily available is all due to, uh, to CrossFit. And I think there's a, I think there's a parallel there in the combatives in the self-defense world that without the popularity of something like Krav Maga, guys like, like me and, um, and, and people who are much, much better than me would, would still be kind of in relative obscurity, just kind of doing this in the, in their little corners with, uh, with a few people here and there. Um, you know, and jujitsu too, jujitsu is the next thing, right? So the, mm. the, the goal now is to, is to make sure jujitsu doesn't turn into what, what things like Rob McGuire CrossFit have done. And as long as we keep the, as long as they keep the, the competitive aspect, uh, as part of it, as long as it doesn't end up in the fucking Olympics, uh, <laughs> jiu-jitsu will be just just fine yeah uh, you know um, people get really excited about wanting to have jiu-jitsu in the olympics it's the worst thing that could possibly happen to to jiu-jitsu yeah. um and i don't i don't know if people understand that because as soon as you have a, a worldwide governing body deciding what the rules are um it's going to change it's going to change the sport uh, mm-hmm. permanently right like what happened to judo uh essentially so um anyway man uh in terms of Krav Maga, the principles are the the principles are solid you know, it's, it's, it's counterattack. It's react and counterattack and be very violent and very aggressive. It's the application that was the problem. You know, you've got maybe a few guys who did it really, really well and could teach it really, really well. But then when you've got thousands of these uh, unqualified instructors teaching this stuff, it just, it just degrades so quickly because you have to systematize it. You have to make it so that, um, somebody can learn how to teach this thing. Uh, but then, but then you don't enforce any, any quality, right? Krav Maga should have evolved into what we're seeing in the useful combatives world. It should have evolved into that. Mm-hmm. That's what it should have done. If, if it, if it had remained honest and if it had remained about, uh, not people's egos and doing what's best to teach people how to fight and teach people how to, how to do self-defense, it would have looked like a few strikes, learning how to strike. It would have looked like, a lot of clinch fighting and it would have looked like integrating weapons and it's their, it's their mistake for not having followed that trajectory. Right. Um, mm-hmm. because they weren't thinking about it hard enough. Um, so anyway, uh, off on that tangent, back to, back to your question, which was what is, what is actual strength? Yeah. That's, that's actually really simple. It's, it's how hard can you push or pull something? How much force can you produce, um, with your body? So how much, how much, uh, how can you use your, muscles and bones, the system of levers that makes up your body in order to interact with the environment. So the simplest definition, and this is Ripito's definition, which is great. It's, it's, uh, the ability to produce force. That's what strength is. Uh, it's nothing else. If you want to come up with a different definition, you'll have to explain it and explain why the simplest definition, which is the ability to produce force 
um, is inferior and uh, good luck. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a better way to explain it. Um, you know, people, people will go into things like if you squat 365 um, ass to grass with your butt touching the floor versus squatting 450 just below parallel. Um, 365 somehow with the additional eight inches of range of motion is stronger. It's not stronger. You either moved more weight or you didn't, right? So um, now there's more discussion to be had there, right? Because if you squat high, you can squat way more weight, but now you're not using all of your your muscles and your uh, joints uh, fully, right? Because you're not, mm-hmm. you haven't gone through a full range of motion. Yeah. Uh, that all makes sense? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So when I saw that, I, I've seen strength defined so many ways. You have like, if people, people will use it like colloquially, you know, and, and if you can, you can lift a sort of arbitrarily heavy weight for like a lot of reps. Oh, that guy's strong. Right. So strength is, is conflated with endurance is conflated with, right. um, just other, other complicated ways of, of thinking about yep. what goes into it. Um, so I just wanted to clear that up. That is basically just how much force can you produce? Like right. the, how, how much can your muscles actually produce against an external object? Right. And so. I like that definition that really cleared a lot up for me when I was trying to sort out, you know, what, what was what. Um, so as a, as a traditional martial artist, I was always told, I mean, and I'm told this in jujitsu too. So it's like, it's everywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, I was told that, you know, stop using strength and rely on technique. So is, is my question to you is, is strength opposed to technique somehow? Um, and, and if not, how do they interact with each other? It's it's not opposed to technique, but it, it but it could potentially hold back technique development for sure. Mm-hmm. So so I think I think when people now there's two things when well, sometimes when people say that it's an ego thing, right? So you're using too much strength. It's because you're kicking my ass, right? So that's that's a problem um, because that's not actually that's not actually a valid uh, reason to tell somebody not to use strength. Um, you wouldn't tell somebody to not use flexibility. You wouldn't tell somebody to not use speed. You wouldn't tell somebody to not use timing, right? So um, those are all those are all attributes that contribute to your ability to to fight or to do jujitsu or whatever, right? So um, why is why is it's interesting that strength is the is the bad guy, right? Strength is the one that people have a problem with. Um, I've never heard somebody say, "Dude, you're so flexible. You got don't use your flexibility on this on this." Yeah. Path. like that's silly, right? It just doesn't yeah. make. It- but but people are very quick to say, oh, you're using too much strength. Um, so setting aside the ego thing where somebody's just beating your ass because they're much stronger than you, um, which by the way is also a fixable problem, right? I hear people all the time, like I hear I hear skinny guys um, or weak people um, say all the time, it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm just so tired of rolling with these big dudes. I'm so tired of rolling with these strong people. Because when they say big guy, what they really mean is strong people. Because because even you know a, a a very light, I'm the perfect example, right? A light purple, a, a light purple or brown belt can handle a 300 pound guy easily, right? Uh, I, let me not say easily, but but I can out te- out technique them any day, right? Um, so what you really mean is I'm really tired of rolling with these really strong guys, and uh, that's a fixable problem. You can make yourself stronger, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. That's that's the that's the part that sucks is it's really hard especially if you're if you're small right you've got a bigger people are stronger that's just the way it works if you're if you're yeah. if 250 pounds um, it doesn't matter if you can move 
and you can do jujitsu, you're going to be strong at 250 pounds, whether you're, you know, whether you've spent time in the gym or not, that dude is going to be strong. And if he weighs 300 pounds and if he weighs 350, if he's like an obese guy, guess what? He's strong, dude. I mean, he moves 350 pounds around every single day. He's strong. Um, he may not be in shape. He may not have the, the gas take for it, but if that stuff comes along, he's still going to be a very strong person. Um, even if he loses 50 or, or even a hundred pounds. Right. So, um, so setting aside the ego thing, um, yeah, if, if, if you're a new person starting a, something that's heavily technique dependent, um, which martial arts are right. Traditional martial arts, uh, grappling jujitsu, they're all, they're all very technique dependent. Um, and not, not solely technique dependent. So strength, again, is a very important part of it. Uh, athleticism is a very important part of it. And in athlete, if, if athleticism is involved, then strength is involved. Um, but there is a huge technique component. Um, otherwise, every very strong white belt would beat every not strong black belt, right? Uh, but that, that doesn't happen. It, never, it hardly ever happens. So when you have something that's technique dependent and that takes a long time to learn... Um, you can hold yourself back in terms of acquiring technique, in terms of getting good at technique by using too much strength. All right. Now I would, I would avoid telling people, uh, generally don't use strength because that's really, that that's useless. It's not useless Mm -hmm. Uh, or, or it is useless. What I would tell people to do is be technical, right? So if you're being technical, that means that anytime that you're straining, anytime that you're holding on to something too long, um, anytime that you're preventing something from happening and you're using your strength to do those things, you're holding yourself back. Right. The, the, the trade-off is that you're not letting this person beat you in that moment, right? But you're practicing, you're trying to get better. So my advice is don't use your strength to, to prevent something from happening and instead use, uh, just, just be very technical. So for big, strong guys, that might mean something like don't, don't use your strength, but it doesn't mean that using strength is bad, right? It's, it's a really subtle thing to understand. Mm-hmm. But uh, So using strength is not bad, but for the purpose of getting better at something, you may want to chill out a little bit and not, not use all your strength. Is that, does that, is that confusing or does that make sense? No, that makes sense. I think, think there's definitely... Um, so like it, the way I see it, um, you know, technique is, is about amplifying whatever the base level of force your body can exactly produce right. in right. a given position. And um, technique also goes into, um, it also goes into like defense that is more efficient and puts you in a, in a, uh, a position of good leverage. Right. So right. for me, it's like, don't, don't use strength, use, use technique really means, Hey, you need to move yourself into a, a, a place of more advantageous leverage, right? Or you need to not just let your arm hang out because you know you can muscle out of a Kimura or a or an Americana or something because right. you're just really strong. Like, don't do that because when you go up against somebody who's at your strength level, you're going to end up getting yourself uh, Kimura because you you built this, exactly this right. bad habit of doing exactly. that. So that's how that's how I see it. That's exactly right. Yeah, and then the other thing is that the the, the gas tank will run out, right? If you mm-hmm. um, if you're diminished in any way, so going into like a self defense uh, uh, conversation, if you're diminished, you you've been punched in the head, you've bounced your head off the concrete, uh, you've been shot or stabbed. 
um, your strength will be diminished. So you got to have, you got to have, you got to be able to leverage your strength maximally, just like you said, using proper technique and using proper positioning um, in order so that when you're gassed, when you're tired, you can remain strong, right? How many times, I don't know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but how many times you have a big, strong guy who comes in and he just gasses himself out in the first 30 seconds and then he's useless. He's useless for the next four and a half minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, now, now that's like a brand new person, but that even happens to experienced people because they don't have the technical backup to be able to use that strength effectively. So, um, so a- that's absolutely right. But when I'm when I'm talking to to, to my students, like when I'm when I'm teaching jujitsu, uh, one of the things that I'll say all the time is is uh, be technical. You can always add strength and explosiveness. You can always add strength, explosiveness, and aggression on top of that too. Those are things that you can always add on and they will they will multiply all these things, but you have to have a strong technical base or it, it doesn't matter, right? Because anybody better than, even a little bit better than you is, is going gonna, is gonna to be able to take advantage of those, those deficiencies. So build the, build the technical base. Um, so like the, the, the next question might be, well, well, how do you acquire these things? You've got to, you've got to be very technical in your tech, in your skill acquisition, and you've got to also get brutally strong. You've got to do both at the same time. You've got to be working on both all of the time. Um, because that's how, that's how you develop skill and athleticism. They, they're not mutually, they're not exclusive to each other. Like, um, people, people will say, I don't know if, I don't know if you've heard this, but people will, uh, say I need to do one or the other. And I need to, uh, like if I, if I get, if I learn better technique, I'll be stronger in these positions. Why not do both? Cause you can, you can reasonably do both at the same time. Um, now you won't, you won't get strong as quickly as if you only lifted and didn't do any jujitsu, but you're a jujitsu guy, right? So that's cool. Mm-hmm. The trade-off is you're not going to be a power lifter, but that's fine. You don't want to be a power lifter. You want to be a strong, capable athlete that does jujitsu. Um, so that's okay. But you, but you got to do both. You're not going to, you're not going to gain, uh, strength efficiently on accident. It has to be intentional. It has to be intentional, right? Yeah. So speak, speaking of that, um, Starting strength has really promoted an interesting and um, very different than the conventional wisdom, a model of um, strength and conditioning for sports, the two-factor model. So that's that's one of the reasons why I was really, really excited to have you on today is because I wanted to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of this. So what what is the two-factor model of, of, of strength and conditioning for, for sport? Yeah, sure. The um, it's interesting because I talked about I talked about football, and in football, that's exactly what we did, and that's exactly what traditionally was done. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you spend time getting strong. You spend a lot of time getting strong because it takes a long time. So most of our off season training, um, you know, the the bulk of of uh, all of the the late fall, winter, and summer was spent just hitting PRs on the squat, deadlift, bench, and some other lifts. Um, which is which is just getting stronger, right? And then as you get closer to the season, you start doing summer workouts, which include like going out and running drills and and uh, and pass blocking and practicing all the things that that the that are going to be required in the game. But that was minimal, dude. I mean, that was like you know we would do it for a week, um, and then leading up to the season, you'd you'd have two days, and it's amazing because nobody forgot how to play football. <laughs> yeah. During nine months that we were lifting. Right. And then the season starts and then you do very minimal lifting. 
right? Some, 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 sometimes we wouldn't lift at all. Um, but still, even, even if you have reasonable practice schedule, you can lift once or twice a week and maintain some strength. Um, but during the season, it's all, it's, you're, you're playing and practicing football and just maintaining the strength. So that's, that's like an application of the two factor model. And it, it just, it just means in the most simple terms that human performance is composed of two things. And one is physiologic adaptations and the other is skill. Uh, is skill. And the way you acquire physiological adaptations is through training. And the way you acquire skill is through practice. And the main idea here is that those two things need to remain separate to, to do them correctly. Because um, the, the current model or the current thinking of strength and conditioning, and this is bottom to top from the personal trainer at the gym all the way up to the professional, uh, professional strength and conditioning level, the current uh, practice is to, is to mesh the two things together yeah. So in, in, functional, in functional training type stuff. So you're trying to like, I remember seeing a video of, of Anderson Silva, you know, arguably one of the greatest fighters of all time. Anderson Silva in this goofy yellow or green jumpsuit <laughs> uh, with his strength and conditioning coach crawling on gym equipment. Like just like a spider, like because he's the spider, right? So we're gonna have the spider do for strength and conditioning. You're gonna have him crawl on equipment, and he's like, this was his strength and conditioning workout. I saw a video of of uh, of, of Mackenzie Dern, and uh, she she's got this strength and conditioning coach doing with this horrific looking machine. Um, it's like a it's like a some kind of a modified leg press, and she's laying in this thing because you know she's jujitsu, so she does she plays open guard, and she's got to use her legs. So they've got her. They've got her laying in this machine that's gonna hurt her. I mean, it, it it looks terrifying, and they're just slamming this weight onto this onto this woman, and she's like straining and pushing against it, uh, just in awful position. Yeah, uh, you've got you've got NFL football players, you know, s- some of the best athletes in the world, brutally strong, extremely fast, standing on one leg throwing a tennis ball, you know, or or doing like a ninety degree uh, partial squat on a wobbly surface with like a kettlebell in their hands. Like that's not training, man. That's not training. They're not getting any stronger. They're not getting any better at football. They're just displaying their ability to do these things. They're already, they're already the kind of athlete that can do really whatever you want them to do. You can dream up any kind of silly contraption or any kind of exercise and you show them how to do it and they'll do it. And it looks good for social media and YouTube and Instagram. Um, but, but to think that you're improving the athleticism of that person by doing that stuff is delusional, right? So all that stuff trickles down into the personal training world and it trickles down into the, uh, into the, the strength and conditioning world for normal people like us. And they think that that's the way to do things. So you, you walk into any commercial gym and the best personal trainers in the room are not in the free weights. They're not in, and when I say best personal trainers, that's like with quotes, right? Yeah. So, the most, the most qualified quote The ones unquote. that have the most clients <laughs> that charge the most, right? Yeah. They're not, they're not at the free weights and they're not doing the, they're not counting reps on the machines. They're over in the functional fitness area with all the wobbly shit and with the kettlebells and with the band <laughs> and the most, you know, the most, uh, uh, wild ways that they can get people to move. Um, the more, the more confusing it is and the more professional it looks and the more like this guy really knows what he's talking about. Um, but, but none of that gets you more athletic. It doesn't get you stronger. It doesn't get you faster and it doesn't get you more coordinated because, uh, training has to be very specific 
any any adaptation is 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 specific to the stress that you apply, right? So if getting strong is what you want, you have to apply a force production stress. Now you can argue all day long about what the best way to do that is, but I'm going to tell you that the best way to get stronger is to load yourself really, really heavy and move through a full range of motion. And the best way to do that is with a barbell because it's ergonomic. It's easy to hold on to. It's easy to add to your body. Um, you could try to do it with weighted vests or with kettlebells or with logs or bands or anything else, but those all have a hard stop in terms of how much progress you can make. And also they have a hard stop in terms of doing the movement pattern. If it, the normal human movement pattern of standing up, pushing on things and pressing and pulling on things, um, they, they disturb your normal human movement enough that the implement itself becomes a problem. Like if you're familiar with a, with a strongman log press, right? So it's like this press and it's this big log and you've got to hold it in a way that is determined by that giant log. So you're not at that point, you're not moving the way that you normally would, right? Mm -hmm. You're not, it's not how you normally would. But if you have a barbell in your hand, it's like this big, right? It's like 28 and a half millimeters or 29 millimeters in diameter. And you just add it to yourself and then you can move your joints in a normal way. Same thing with a deadlift or with a bench press or with a squat. You're just moving the way your body is already designed to move and you're just loading yourself. You're making yourself heavier. Um, so the physiological adaptations are going to be strength and conditioning. Those are your two physiological adaptations. Um, conditioning, again, it's, very, it's specific to the task that you're doing. So um, I talked about this with the evolution security guys. First time somebody comes to jujitsu or if they've been at jujitsu for a month or the first time somebody does an evolution at Craig Douglas's class, it's like, I got to get, I got to, I got to get my cardio up, you know, cause they're dying, right? They're, yeah. they're feel like they're drowning. Um, but how are you going to make yourself more conditioned for something like for fighting another human being by doing something that doesn't match fighting another human being. It does not work. So you can try to go and get on a bike and ride the bike for, for 20 miles, um, three or four times a week. You can go start jogging. You can even do really hard things. Like you can do circuits with like, uh, like what I used to do back in the day with like ball slams and tires, mm -hmm. tires. Uh, flips and and sledgehammer, uh, you know, hitting the tire with the sledgehammer, uh, the rower, and just do a, a crazy circuit of all this conditioning stuff. But none of that is going to match the intensity or the specific needs of fighting another person. So conditioning is tied to the activity that you're doing. So if you're lifting and you're also doing jujitsu, jujitsu covers your conditioning needs until you get to a high level of strength and conditioning. Okay, so the concurrent acquisition of strength and skill for most people, most of the time, takes care of the conditioning needs, uh, provided that you're training regularly and that you're lifting regularly. Um, that's that's for most people, most of the time. When you're a competitor, mm -hmm. you know you're 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 strong, you're very skilled. Those are the two requirements. You have to be strong and you have to be very skilled, because if you're not strong. The best bang for your buck is getting stronger. If you're not skilled, the best bang for your buck is getting skilled. So once you have both of those two things in place, then it's time to look at what else, what else can I uh, work on? And then the third most likely thing is conditioning. And then, then whatever conditioning protocol you need is going to be specific to you as that individual because you are now an advanced, um, advanced trainee in terms of both lifting and skill, right? So, um, so whatever everybody else is doing doesn't matter. You have to look at your specific needs and then, and then work on whatever deficiencies you have in the, in the conditioning world. 
uh, or on the conditioning side of things based on your specific needs. And it won't apply to almost anybody else. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, so that's the first factor, right? So I'm saying strong is important conditioning. If you're doing a sport like jujitsu, not so important because you're going to get it from the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, the second, uh, factor is skill and skill is practice. So how do you practice for, for, for martial arts, for fighting, for jujitsu? You just do the thing. You just do it. Right. Um, and that's, that's simple concept, but you know, we like, let's take a movement in jujitsu, like, uh, like a hip bump or an oompa, right? Mm-hmm. So you, someone, will, someone who's like thinking about this stuff will look at that movement and say to themselves, um, I'm going to start doing strength and conditioning for jujitsu. So what I'll do is I'll go into the gym and I'll put a weight on my hips. Like I'll do a, I'll do a bunch of hip thrusts because that'll make my, my oompa better. Mm. Um, it's not the way it works because strength is a general adaptation. You're, you're increasing the capacity of your body through, like if you think of a car, it's a bigger engine and it's a stronger frame and it's a stronger suspension. That's what strength does for you. Um, driving the car is practice. Right. So that's the skill part of it. And it doesn't matter how it doesn't like you could, you could try to, um, get in the car and cover one eye. That's not going to make you a better driver. It's just, it's just, it's just making your driving worse and it's making, it's not improving the, the fundamental aspects of that vehicle. Right. So that's, that's essentially what you're doing when you're trying to take movements that you do in your sport and mimic those in the gym. It's unnecessary because strength, again, is a general adaptation. You apply that strength by practicing. So whatever strength you acquire by doing squats and presses and deadlifts, um, squats, presses, pulls, uh, whatever strength your body j- uh, develops gets applied when you go and you practice your jiu-jitsu three, four, five times a week. Um, it, just, it just comes along with it because the, movement, the, the movements that you're doing are, are requiring that strength anyway. Right. So that's kind of a long-winded summary of, of the two-factor model. Um, and and that, that's basically the way it works. It's a very simple concept, but everybody likes to screw it up. That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the current personal training and strength and conditioning model is to make things look like uh, the activities that you do and then load them or make them more difficult through instability or load or whatever, right? Yeah, I even saw the Danaher death squad with a guy down in like Puerto Rico, I think is where they went for a while over COVID and they were training down there and they were like, yeah, we got to go to our strength and conditioning guy. So they went to this dude's garage and, and they just did a bunch of ridiculous stuff. Like they're doing tons of like high rep stuff with lower weights. Um, uh, unstable ball like the bosa ball or whatever all that kind of stuff like trying to do and i don't think there's there that 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 stuff is more if you're going to do if you're going to do instability training that's really more for trying to um to just make your knee strong from from getting like tweaked or something right but you can't you can't train that it's more of it's more of a therapeutic value than it is to like bring you past a threshold and make you make your joints anti-fragile or something like that but yeah, but, but, but for what they're but for what they're doing it doesn't they're at the highest level and they can lift and it doesn't make any sense like <laughs> yeah and even even for anybody else you know the 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 idea that that putting somebody on an unstable surface is going to strengthen their knees it's far more efficient and trainable to to just teach them how to squat or deadlift mm-hmm. uh, that'll that'll take care of all of the stability needs of the joint 
um, without introducing an unnecessary variable. Uh, your your you know your knee does not actually get any stronger um, to any significant degree by doing anything that's unstable. Mm-hmm. All right, so let me explain that a little bit. So um, you know, let's say my knee's janky, it's hurting, it's achy whatever. I've got tendonitis. Uh, maybe I've got a torn meniscus. So by standing on this surface, uh, on, on this BOSU ball, my knee will get just strong enough to be able to handle the instability of that BOSU ball. Mm-hmm. Now I can add some weight to myself. Like I can put a weighted vest on, or I can hold a kettlebell, or I can do any other thing to, to add further so I can bring a little bit more load into the, into the situation. But, but think about that, right? Now, not only am I on an unstable surface, but now I've got an additional load. Right. Things are going to get dangerous at some point. And even if they don't get dangerous, how much further and how much longer can I continue to load that situation? Right. Where if you teach somebody how to move correctly and then you load it, their knees will get stronger faster and it's loadable forever, like in a squat or a deadlift. Does that make sense? So that's. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a complete, it's almost a complete waste of time to even bother with that stuff. The yeah. personal, the, the physical therapists that we have in our network who are start, who are certified starting strength coaches, we've got, we've got a handful of them, um, use a rack, a bar and plates in their practice every single day. That's, that's how they rehab people from surgeries. That's how they rehab people from serious injuries, um, sustained in, in, uh, in combat. Uh, it's it's a bar, plates, racks, it's deadlifts, squats, presses, and pulls. You know, so um, there there's almost there's almost no room anywhere if you care about efficiency in terms of getting stronger and you actually care about getting stronger and improving performance. There's really no room for any of this stuff that is so popular right now. Um, yeah, yeah. There really isn't. I mean, it's 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 completely useless. Yeah, I, I should clarify with the statement about it being therapeutic that. I'm really thinking in the terms of skill practice and not in training because you can't load an instability drill or whatever you want to call it. Um, But there is research that shows, and and this is on the skill end and not the training end, that people who practice on different surfaces, uh, especially like sand or something like that, that they, they, they manage on a skill level. They learn to manage weird unstable positions better and that tends that that seems to be in the research seems to show that it's protective of the joints but not in not in the way that a squat is protective of the joints and that it makes it stronger progressively where this one actually makes you more skilled at managing a strange position sure right yeah yep yep that that makes sense for sure yeah that that's why the two (laughs) fact that's why i'm so interested in the two-factor model because if we didn't have that uh, taxonomy to deal with, we would be talking right past each other with that thing That's because you have skill practice and you have actual strength training and they're different. <laughs> one is, one is, uh, one is a like skill acquisition and the other one is getting stronger. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And then, and then where does, so, so let's, let's, uh, I think what you, what you just said in terms of the unstable surfaces makes some sense. So let's put it into the context of where that should fit for most people mm-hmm. in, uh, strength and conditioning and a skill acquisition. Um, right. So, um, so we, we just made a statement and I agreed with you that potentially, you know, training on sand, for example, can be protective of a joint. It can be um, it can it can allow you even if it's just psychological. It can allow you to handle a, uh, an, un- an instability a little bit better. 
So mm-hmm. does that mean that a weak white belt should go start training in sand? I would argue that no. The best bang for the buck is to get strong using basic barbell movements, mm-hmm. practice jujitsu a bunch, and then once you've done, once you you're further along on those uh, on those performance curves in terms of getting stronger and also uh, your skill acquisition, um, then yeah, now now it, how do you get a, a little bit more? How do you add a little bit more to your performance? And there there is some potential benefit there. I would argue that for a guy who who can only squat a hundred pounds, um, any benefit that would come from for speed, stability of the joints, and even motor learning, and even um, even even learning new new motor patterns, uh, they will get all those from strength training with with barbells and just learning doing their sport. Right, all the, all that stuff just comes along with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the, the sand and all that kind of stuff, that's really all that research has been done sports specific anyways. That's all people playing, you know, football or frisbee or wrestling on the beach. Um, and they found that it's just been, it's just been really helpful for your nervous system to manage that stuff. You know, when you're in the sand, I mean, sometimes you have to produce force with your foot at a weird angle. That is, that's, that's different than if it were on a, on a, a hard surface. Right. Um, which is why it can be beneficial from, from that, that point of view. But, um, yeah. but definitely. Um, so is, is there any room for, for more, I don't want to say sport specific, but something that's maybe it's not, you're not necessarily doing the exact movement, but is more specific to the sport itself that you can add into your, conditioning program or your not your strength program rather it it always it always depends um and the the biggest determining factor is how far along you are on your on your performance curve in terms of strength and your performance curve in terms of skill Mm -hmm. so um if you're early in the process on either one of those and i hope i'm being clear here if you're early in the process of getting strong or you're early in the process of getting good um I would say no. Get good and get strong. And the best way to get strong, we, I would argue, is doing barbell training um, in a progressive manner. Uh, and we have books and podcasts and videos and a full seminar where we discuss why that's important or why, why that is, why using barbells is the best way to get strong. Um, as with anything, initially things are general and they're simple and they're basic, right? So in other words, you have a room full of, of, full of white belts. Um, it's probably okay and beneficial to teach them all these, the same thing. Teach them all how to hip escape, right? Um, teach them a basic, a basic submission. Uh, as you progress, both in terms of strength, and I'm doing this with my hands because it's like the law of diminishing returns, right? The performance mm-hmm. curve. It's very steep at first and then it goes, it, it flattens, it plateaus. Right. So, um, so as, you, as you progress, your performance in both skill and strength slows down in terms of how quickly you are getting better. Yeah. Because in order to get better, it requires more resources, more time, more practice, mm-hmm. more energy, more calories, more, uh, more weight on the bar, and so on, right? Um, so along with that, the programming for strength and the practice that you have to do in terms of skill acquisition becomes more specific and more individualized. All right. So yes. So the answer is yes, but not until you need it. Not until your yeah. specific needs require that you add this additional thing. On the strength side, that 
that takes years. You, you don't even have to worry about it. Just keep getting stronger. On the skill side, maybe, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're going to have to, like, if you suck at, at working, at playing open guard, um, you know, while the rest of the class is, is, is working on one thing, your coach may tell you, hey, just work on your open guard, right? During these roles, you're, you're, you're going to do open guard. Um, and you see what I'm saying? So it becomes mm-hmm. specific to that individual person. Um, some of that will bleed over into the strength training stuff too, right? So, um, I, I can't, I can't really think of any specific examples. It'd be like, it depends. It's a case by case basis, right? But I could see an argument for like, um, you know, you, uh, <laughs> Uh, maybe you like never want to get caught in an arm bar. So uh, <laughs> you never want to have somebody extend an arm bar. So what, what could you do? Uh, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's add a bunch of curls in, you know, something like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe something like that. But, you know, you're always, the problem is, man, that you're always running up against recovery resources, right? So you want to keep things as efficient as possible and try not to layer too many things on top of each other. So in that, in that kind of silly example, let's say we're going to decide we're going to start doing a bunch of curls or chin-ups um, because you don't ever want to get arm barred. First of all, it'd be better for you to learn how to not get in the position to not, it's like to get better at escaping earlier, right? So that yeah. obvious, that's the obvious thing, like just get better. So you're not getting caught there all the time. And then uh, number two, if we start doing a bunch of extra things in the gym, uh, it's more wear and tear on, on your joints, right? And then yeah. potentially you do finally, you do get caught in that arm bar and now your, your bicep tendon is, is, is more compromised because you've been doing all of this additional work that would have paid off maybe a little bit, right? Where there's, there's more benefit to be had in other areas, right? Like just mm-hmm. get your, add another 50 pounds to your deadlift. Learn how to how to uh, learn how to how to uh, escape mount so you're not getting armbarred all the time, right? Absolutely. Um, so I know that starting strength is a very particular program. You 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 keep a tight wrap on it because it consistently produces really good adult uh, really good um, results for your clients. Um, but we, we talked about how it's a little bit different if you're already doing martial arts. So if you're already doing jujitsu or, or another martial art and you decide to get on the starting strength program, how do you balance the starting strength program and con- continuing to do combat sports? Yeah, good question. So uh, the answer is you don't. Um, it, you, you cannot serve two masters, right? You can't mm-hmm. do two, two things optimally at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. So initially, uh, again, doesn't matter what belt level you are. You're a brand new white belt or you're a, you're a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Um, you decide you're going to get strong. You're going to do the program just like everybody else. You're going to train three days a week. You're going to do nothing else other than jiu-jitsu uh, the other days of the week. And you're going to squat every workout. You're going to alternate your press and your bench and you're going to deadlift. Now, the, ch- the difference comes between somebody who's not doing an, a, another sport, uh, somebody who's only going to the gym and then that's their only thing right now, the difference comes in how quickly you're going to have to make your programming changes. So this is kind mm. of a uh, this is kind of a, a misunderstanding of the approach that we take. Uh, everybody does the novice program. Everybody does the basic novice program, regardless of their sport, regardless of their experience in the gym, because it's the entry point to a process of getting stronger. So everybody starts at the same spot. And then your programming changes come as needed and your programming changes are done reluctantly. So if you can, if you're doing jujitsu and you're able to eat more food and you're able to get a little bit more sleep, 
you could probably continue to make progress a lot longer. Now, what tends to happen is that you're rolling four or five times a week. And if you're a new white belt, you're trashing yourself every single time you go to jujitsu because you're, you're not very good yet, right? So you're, it's a massive conditioning event. It's a massive strength event either. Also, because you're holding on to things too long and you're using, you're using too much quote unquote strength, like we talked about before. So you're gassing yourself and you're taxing your, your, your recovery Mm -hmm. resources. So your progress will be blunted and you'll make programming changes sooner than if you weren't doing jujitsu. And that's what it comes down to, right? So you might be making your first programming change, like just uh, dropping your deadlift to once a week and maybe doing a light squat in the middle of the week. You might be doing that at like week six or week eight, where typically that would be something that happens like week four or or, I'm sorry, month four or month six even, right? Mm -hmm. So, but that's okay because you've chosen to continue doing jujitsu and the trade-off for you is that you're not going to get as strong as quickly, but that's okay because you're, you're interested in your, 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 invested in this other thing, which also has a ton of benefits along with it, right? The ideal situation, which is completely unrealistic, right? I would, I would not recommend somebody do this, but, um, because the mat time is important, right? So I wouldn't recommend doing this, but the, like, if you could just take somebody and say, like, let's do this the best way possible, stop doing jujitsu for three months and get as strong as you, possibly can and then start adding jujitsu back in. But again, that's not realistic or even a good idea because you're missing out on three months of mat time, which is which right. is probably more important because you actually care about jujitsu more than uh more than the, the strength training. The strength training supports the jujitsu, not the other way around, right? Right. Yeah, it's and and <laughs> that would be that is a good idea if you keep getting it you keep like finding getting all these nagging injuries and stuff. But that it's really hard to get the conditioning back for jujitsu if you've been out for right. more than a few weeks. That conditioning is very difficult to get back. Right. right. The longer you do it, though, the quicker it comes back. So, right. if you, yeah. you know, you can, um, a, an experienced guy can take a, a long time off from even, even hard rules and, and have it back within a few sessions, like at least, at least mentally, you know, maybe it's not actually mentally, there. If we, yeah. like, if we were there, if we were to like actually hook them up to some machines and, and measure, things um it probably it may not actually be at the at the level that it was before but that doesn't matter right because mm-hmm. a lot of here the 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 fight ends mentally before way before it ends physically so um so within a couple sessions you're 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 back feeling to where your conditioning is back and then you can always build it up more from there um but you know it, I, I kind of laid out what it would look like if you were like an insane person and, and were like i don't care about jiu-jitsu for three months i'm just going to lift and then come back to the mat. But then, like you said, you have all these other things to to deal with, uh, getting your conditioning back, you know, all this, the, the potential loss of skill and timing over those three months. So it's not a good idea, but what you could do is chill out a little bit for three months, right? So when it's, you drill and you drill normally, uh, because there's a ton of value, right? Everybody forgets there's a ton of value in, in doing the drills. So you, you, you put in a lot of mental energy and you, and you take the drilling seriously and when it comes time to roll, pretend like you weigh a hundred pounds and don't like literally don't use your strength. Like just be really easy, be really technical, get over your ego, like be okay with losing and just say to yourself, you know, I got to go squat tomorrow. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. kill myself during this, during this uh, rolling session. Um, don't roll with the guy that you don't like that you want to really beat every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so you can manage, you can manage your stress in that way um, for a brief period. 
three, four months, the longer you can do that, the better. And then slowly start working, working in harder and harder roles uh, as you're as you're getting stronger. And as as the strength training prog- progress starts to slow down, then you start ramping up the intensity on your on your on your jujitsu. Um, and there's a lot of a, a lot of benefit to doing it that way because you're getting stronger, uh, you're maintaining your conditioning, you're improving your skill, right? Because you're focusing on being technical. Um, and then, and then, uh, also, uh, once you, once you've gotten stronger, uh, you, you will naturally start picking up the, the intensity. You'll become harder to, harder to deal with on the mat. And, uh, and you may never feel like you have to up your intensity. Like you're just getting better the whole, the whole way through. So, you know, taking that kind of, uh, disciplined mental approach is, is, uh, really, really beneficial, especially for newer people. The, the brown belts, the black belts, they don't have to be told this stuff. They t- typically understand it pretty well. Um, for, for experienced people, like if I, if I get somebody who's a, a, a brown belt asking me about getting stronger, they're going to change nothing about what they do. Just, just start eating, like eat your ass off and go train and go lift because they're, they're going to be fine. They know they'll typically know how to manage their stress on the mat. Usually guys like that, especially if they're skinny, they need to, need to be okay with, with, uh, gaining weight and getting bigger. So mm-hmm. that's the, the biggest challenge for experienced people is, is they're, uh, they're, they're used to doing what they do and they, they, they're going to have to work at, at gaining muscle, which is going to involve, um, gaining, get, getting bigger. So it's going to involve gaining yeah. weight. Um, the, the new people, it doesn't matter. They're typically out of shape anyway. Right. So they're, it's, it's all benefit for them. It's all plus side for them. Yeah. I, that's me right now getting bigger. <laughs> I've never been. I, I'm a small guy. I'm al- almost usually the smallest guy on the mat unless there's teenagers training there. So I'm like five <laughs> eight. I think I think I'm I'm now I'm starting to get close to one eighty, but I was like one sixty, one seventy for the last oh, few wow. years. So it's I was rough, pretty dude. it was pretty small. It is yeah. rough. And I'm not strong. So even though I've done martial arts my whole life, I've had all these injuries that I never got di- never dealt with properly. It's like uh, unstable shoulder, right? Changes right. the way you roll, changes the positions you put yourself in. Right. Flexor injuries from doing Taekwondo for so many years and teaching Taekwondo and demonstrating while I was cold and not properly right. warmed up. So creating right. these problems. These are all things that I've had to work through with squatting heavies, caused the flexors to get tight, but I worked through it. I took a light day, came back, resolved right. itself, right? Then got really aggressive on the, on the overhead press and my shoulder's really not bothering me. And my coach is even like, dude, you're, you're rolling different now. Like you're going for stuff. You're, you're not, you're not as um, defensive on, on everything. So it, it does, it changes the way you roll without making, without making you non-technical, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Exactly right. Um, yeah. yeah. And you bring up an excellent point, man. You know, the getting strong is great. Um, and improving performance is great, but even, you know, as a, as a 30 year old guy, you might not be there yet, but, um, maybe you have, I mean, with years of Taekwondo, there's a lot of wear and tear on your body, but, um, it, you know, mid thirties going in your forties, going into your fifties. If you, if you are, uh, the, the primary benefit and the primary argument for strength training and getting stronger is to maintain your capability for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a stronger joint, stronger bones, stronger muscles are never a detriment. And, um, you, you'll bounce back from injuries faster. Uh, you'll get less injured and you just, you just feel better in general, just by, by being stronger, you have less aches and pains and less tweaks and less things. And for people who are, who are wrestling and fighting each other on a regular basis, <laughs> dude, it, it's weird that you even have to make the argument, right? Like, yeah, you, you need to stay strong. 
And over a long term, that's probably where uh, uh, most of your mental effort should go because showing up to class and rolling and stuff, that's fun. That's what you do. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a good time. Uh, going to the gym the day after training where you're sore and you're beat up, um, it's, it's not fun, but it's absolutely necessary because that's what keeps you going um, into your, uh, that's what keeps you going year after year. You know, you don't, you don't want to be the guy who, uh, tweaks his back or messes up his knee. And then it's like, Oh, jujitsu is over for me. Cause that's, that's not what you want. You want to be able to do it for as long as possible. And the, probably the, the best, uh, the, the ticket to that is to stay strong for as long as possible or get stronger. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Um, thinking back on something you'd mentioned before, it's like, Hey, once you, if you're doing jujitsu, you're probably going to come up on like week six, you're going to, need to have like a light day of squats. That's like exactly the week. Right, right, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, I can't do this. I can't yeah. do this anymore. I got to. <laughs> yeah, dude, I've done this before. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, I got to, I got to have a light day in here if I'm going to PR on Friday. Cause this is not like, this is, not, I've been to jujitsu and, and I, and I, and I've, and I've changed. I've actually have, um, I've got a lot of days that I can be making up for jujitsu. I can be going way more times during the week, but I can't, I just can't do the recovery. I'm not, I'm not 20 years. I look really young, but I'm not 20 years old anymore. And it, it, it absolutely at 31, I'm still young, but it absolutely does take longer for me to heal. Right. And even with eating more and, um, you know, getting sleep and all that, it's just not, (laughs) I can't, I, I, I am having trouble recovering. So I've, I've changed it to, I've just been going just steady at two days a week, two days a week. So I'm not losing skill. And, and I'm seeing little improvements as, as I very, as I very gradually get a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. How um, long have you been doing jujitsu? How, what, what belt are you? I'm, I'm a blue belt. I, I, I've done it on and off for like embarrassingly long, like six or seven years. Yeah. Um, yep. and it's just job and finances and sure. moving around yeah, because for, of jobs. So, yeah. Yeah. For a guy like you, um, uh, I've got, I've got a couple folks kind of in the same situation as you, you know, you're, um, you, you've got technical skill, you're good, but you're, you're probably still going pretty hard in your roles and everything. So, um, two, you know, two, two times a week, go heavy twice a week. That's perfectly reasonable, man. I mean, I've got, um, I, one of my friends who I'm coaching and he, uh, he squats heavy one day, squats light the other day, pulls heavy on the day he squats light and then pulls light on the day he squats heavy and then does upper body lifts on both days. And that's his program. And he's making, making regular progress and he's not feeling, he's, he's feel, feeling, uh, feeling pretty good, um, going into those workouts, you know, and as you, as you, uh, as you go, as you get further along in both your strength and your, your, your jujitsu, um, you know, you'll know when it's time to add a third day, you know, cause again, like, uh, somebody who's, who's, uh, who's very skilled at jujitsu and, and it's not, it's not, it stops, it stops becoming so stressful, um, yeah. you, you'll know when that is. You're just like, ah, I'm, I'm going to get another day at the gym, you know, and then you get a third day and then you kind of go back into more normal programming. You could even do four days at the gym, right? Um, if, if you have the time for it, because the four days, yeah. four days of working out is, uh, is actually less stressful because you, you're spreading things out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the guys who have been doing it a long time, they're in the gym every single day, right? And that might not be the, the best idea. And they're, they're probably not training efficiently. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason that you can't train hard in the gym for four days and yeah. do jujitsu, um, do two days, right? If you're a, if you're a brown belt or a black belt, that's perfectly reasonable. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm glad you said that. I didn't even think about pulling light on the days that you squat heavy to help manage yep. that, that recovery. So I'm definitely going to implement that in my programming now. 
Um, yeah, the, the mistake would be to just keep everything light all the time. It's it's got to right. stay. You just got to figure out where you're going to put it, right? Yeah, yeah. That yeah, I hear people they say dumb stuff like just lift, just do more reps and and lift. And they're like, no, well, yeah. that's not how that, that's actually literally not how the adaptation works. You're adapting for endurance and not for absolute strength. <laughs> that, and that, and also if you're doing it correctly, like if you're going to do sets of eight or you do sets of 10, it's got to be brutally hard. Like it's got to be really hard. And yeah. then now you're running up against uh, tendonitis and you're running up against overuse. Yes. So it's just, it's just a bad idea overall. You're not going to get stronger. And if you're using sufficiently heavy weights to create stress, um, that stress comes out in terms of like uh, things like tendonitis and, uh, and and joint pain and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's just a bad idea. Now, if you're if you're on a three day schedule like like I am for for lifting, how do you stack that with your your jujitsu practice? Do you practice on separate days, or do you try to stack it on the same days? Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, uh, good question. That's that's a personal preference thing. I, me personally, I prefer to lift on the same days that I roll. Um, so then if you're like, let's say like, if you're doing jujitsu every day, you don't have a choice, right? If you're doing five days a week, but if you, let's say you go to classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, and you want to train three days a week, but Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's, that makes sense, right? It's just that when you come in on Wednesday, um, after having rolled on Tuesday, um, that workout, you're going to feel stiffer. You're going to feel mm-hmm. ache, right? So maybe that workout becomes your light day right? If you're going to be three days a week, that becomes your light day. You can still deadlift heavy, uh, even if you're sore and you're beat up. Cause it's just not that it's, it, it, there's, it doesn't beat you up too much, right? It's real heavy, but it doesn't beat up your joints like a squat will. Um, if you, if you're, tra- if you're doing jujitsu Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, I would do jujitsu. I would do lifting first. So like lift, lift in the morning, lift at lunchtime, lift right before and then, and then do, do jujitsu after. Don't try to lift after having done jujitsu. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna feel good. It's not gonna work, um, and you may you may uh, hurt yourself. So um, now I'm not saying that's impossible to do. People do it all the time, but just in terms of um, like a, if you want to think of a best practice, it's probably better to do anything that's high force production, mm-hmm. anything that's high uh, in, endurance base. So yeah, I, I don't want to lift after, after no jujitsu no. session. No, I, wanna, I play a lot of like I play a lot of like butterfly guard too. So like my flexors are and people are always bigger than me so my flexors are always like right acting right. up and i don't want to like squat heavy yeah like yeah. right after that <laughs> it's gonna, my body's going to compensate in some way it shouldn't probably exactly. and it's it's not going to be good but um yep. yeah yeah so there's no you know i'm not going to say that that one is better than the other it's 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 literally personal preference and how you uh how you deal with things you know mm-hmm. if you if i guess ideally if you could uh if you could, if, if you're going to do jujitsu three days a week, you're going to lift three days a week, um, and there's no other considerations, like your your wife's not going to get mad at you for being gone all you know all day or whatever. Um, you you would probably lift in the morning, jujitsu in the evening, and then take the next day completely off. Like that that'd be a, that'd be a solid approach. But you know, as a jujitsu coach, I'm, I would like you to do jujitsu as often as possible. So I would prefer that you manage your uh, your intensity on the mats. Uh, through the week, like maybe maybe on Friday, since it's your last day of the week, on Friday that's the day you roll hard. Or if you go to an open mat on on the weekend or something, that's the day you roll hard. And then the rest of the week, try to try to stay technical and try to not uh, burn yourself out on the mat, uh, at least temporarily, so that you can really give uh, give good get a good focus on the on the strength training side of things. Excellent. Um, so what what would you say? 
what would you say to, and this is my last question, but I, I keep hearing this now because I've started to spread the gospel of, of, uh, of simple strength training to everybody now. Um, and you always run into these guys and I used to be one of them too, but like you're always running into these guys like in martial arts that are like, well, if you, if you lift, you're just, you're, as soon as you touch, touch a barbell, I'm exaggerating, but as soon as you touch a barbell, you're just going to pull, you're going to get too, you're going to get too big and it's going right. to, it's going to hurt your range of motion and the, yeah. the muscles is going to take too much of your energy during rolling. Like, what do you say to somebody like that? <laughs> I, at the, dude, at this point, I don't, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, you know it's just, uh, the, the best, I don't, I don't, I don't spend much time arguing with people anymore. You know, I used to, yeah. you know, but, uh, um, at this point in my life, I just, uh, it's the, I see it as kind of a waste of time. Uh, you know, if somebody's genuinely interested, I'll tell them, you know, I'll tell them why that's not the case. Um, but, but today in 2022, dude, all you got to do is show them the video of, uh, Gordon Ryan and Andre Galvao fighting, uh, you know, at the last yeah. ADP, yeah. uh, if those individuals walked into the room right now, they are impressive. They're large men and they have tons of muscle, more than you and I, more than the guy you're discussing this with. Tell me that he's inflexible. Tell me that he's slow, right? You can't. You can't make that argument. Um, show him an NFL linebacker. The guy runs a 4240 and he's, and he's 240 pounds and, uh, and he's like 10% body fat. Is that guy slow? Is he inflexible? No, he's not slower and inflexible, right? So it's just kind of it's just kind of silly. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's all the examples from the rest of the athletic world, right? There's 300 pound Olympic lifters who who snatch a barbell over their head and their butt is touching the the, the platform. That guy's not inflexible, right? Um, but he's got he's got 400 plus pounds up over his head, and he did it very very quickly. Um, so wrestlers, right? There's all these examples from the, from the professional, uh, athletic world or the high level athletic world that you can show, um, if, if somebody needs that. And I, I think, you know, you know, all that's kind of an appeal to authority thing. So really, you know, for everybody out there, if the, the best example would be you yourself, right? If you want to mm -hmm. have arguments with people about strength training, um, you've got to be strong and you've got to look like you're strong. Uh, otherwise, nobody's going to listen to you. So, you know, if, if, yeah. uh, if you want to have the arguments because it's fun, that's cool. Uh, but it's your word against mine type of a thing. Mm -hmm. If you're big and strong and flexible and quick and highly technical. So when we say like flex, flexible and quick, really, that's just that just means timing, right? Because how are you going to, you're not really going to improve your quickness. You're not really going to improve your flexibility to like any massive degree but you will improve your positioning and your timing. So if you're big and strong and you are very technical and you're very good, that's all anybody needs to know. You know, so if, if, if somebody comes, like if somebody, nobody does this, but if somebody were to come up to me and be like, dude, you're muscle bound, you, there's no way you're any good at jujitsu. Hmm. Like, right, well, let's, let's go. There's like, we've got mats right there. Like, let's look, come on, let's go, let's go check. Um, you know, you tell me, you know, type of a thing. So. <laughs> Uh, you know what I'm saying? So I, yeah. like, I, I'm not really having, having those discussions much with people anymore, but, um, they would have to, they would have to argue that producing more force would be somehow less beneficial mm -hmm. and that having bigger muscles makes you less flexible. So it's not on you to show them that that doesn't happen. It's on them to show you that it does happen. Show me somebody who got stronger and got less flexible, right? Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Exactly. The last person that says something that, like that to me, I was like, first of all, you, you have to do like a bodybuilding protocol for like years and years and years, and maybe even steroids to even get that big. 
I mean, you, you have to lift for so long. I, I, like I, I've, I've, I've haven't missed a workout in like two and a half months. And I, there's a bar- barely a noticeable change in my shoulders <laughs> and my chest, right? right. Like you're not, you're, if you know, if you're, and, and I'm pushing myself way, making increments way faster than most people do when they start training. They'll go up 10 pounds, 10 pounds, 10 pounds. They'll hit a plateau and then they'll kind of hang out there and they'll only go up. Yeah. Slowly from there. Right. And, and, yeah. and I'm going up way faster than that. And I'm not, I'm building, I've got to be building muscle because I'm still, I'm still hitting my, my right. uh, numbers. Um, but I'm like, I'm not getting, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm not just blowing out. You just can't, it's literally physiologically impossible to do that. It, like even after lifting for a couple of years, you're not going to be so big that you have these weird movements like some bodybuilders they can And that's a fantastic point, right? That, that, that <laughs> probably, and that's probably the best way to, to, to phrase this. It's like, um, here, let's do this. You know, you start training and start getting bigger and stronger. And the moment that you decide you have too much muscle, just stop and the muscle will go away. Right. So <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, like, go ahead. Like, I think the best thing you can do is just try this and, and get stronger and get bigger. And, um, the day that you get on the mat and you say to yourself, oh, damn, I'm getting less flexible or, oh, damn, my arms are so big that I can't, um, you know, that I can't do this technique anymore, then you should just stop. And then when you stop, you'll, your muscles will go back to what they were before, right? And, but nobody's going to do that, right? But <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. Like, it, you don't get huge on accident. Like, that's a very intentional and very difficult thing to do. Other, otherwise, every guy that you know who goes to the gym would be massive. Yeah. Right. And there's dudes that go to the gym every single day and they don't look any different. Yeah. Any different. Right. And they're intentionally, they're trying to get big. Like they would love any, anything more. They would love nothing more than to get giant, than to get huge. And they cannot do it because it's really hard to do. Yeah. So, so yeah, your, your point's excellent. It doesn't actually happen and it doesn't happen on accident. Like there's the, there's the, uh, the story of Arnold, like a, a reporter or somebody asked him, um, you know, well, uh, why would I lift weights? I don't want to look like you. And he says something like, don't worry, you won't. It's such an excellent backhand. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to accidentally get massive and inflexible. It doesn't happen. No, people just, I guess they don't. And I didn't, I, I didn't, and I, I get upset, but I was this way too. Like, I didn't understand the difference between body training protocols and like powerlifting or strength training protocols, but it makes sense when you, if you understand how the muscle adapts and you look at it, like, Hey, you got to be, you got to be at more intensity for, for lower reps. If you want to move up strength, because you physically cannot handle more reps, but you have to be training at that high rep range. I'm not high rep that, that high intensity range, because otherwise you, how are you going to get strong enough to handle that weight if you're not handling the weight? Exactly. So, and then, you know, bodybuilding is totally different. You have to manage lower weights at higher reps so that you can, I think Rip, Rip calls it, uh, you know, building the, the muscle belly. It does, it does bulge, but it, it doesn't, you're not necessarily well, producing more full force. Bodybuilders understand this too. And the, the reason, and this is something that people don't understand. The reason that bodybuilders have to do higher reps is because the loads are so heavy that they, that it's unsustainable. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and think about the weights. And I, when we talk about bodybuilders, we're talking about actual bodybuilders, like not the dude at Gold's Gym. Um, <laughs> yeah. Those, like actual bodybuilders. If, if, if a guy gets under the bar and, and squats a set of eight for like four, four or five sets, right? He's doing four yeah. sets of eight. He's not doing it with 315 pounds. He's not doing it with 275. 
-hmm. he's doing it with 400 plus or 500 plus in some instances, right? So, um, you know, can that guy squat a bunch more weight? Yeah, but he he's going to squat a bunch more weight and then he can't squat again for two weeks, right? He can't yeah. squat heavy for two weeks. Yeah. But this guy is on, you know, whatever uh, cocktail of, of uh, things that allow him to train, train in this way. And that allow him to to uh, respond to that kind of stress, but he's going to do legs again in a couple days. And guess what? He's going to get under the bar again, and he's going to do four hundred plus pounds for however many bunches of reps. But that's something that he literally would not be able to do if he trained the way a, a powerlifter trains for strength, right? Because that's not the goal. The goal for him is to look a certain way and to make the muscles look mm -hmm. look way for the contest, not to lift as much weight as possible. But yeah. but that that weight that those guys are lifting are still ridiculously heavy weights. So when a like a, a little skinny dude comes up and starts talking about bodybuilding, he has no idea what he's talking about because squatting one forty for four sets of eight is not the same as what that dude over there who weighs three hundred pounds with ten percent body fat is doing. It's not the same thing, you know. Yeah, not even close. Like and none of it applies to what we do. None of it applies to mm -hmm. our our world, which is uh, fighting and improving performance for fighting, which is, uh, which requires force production. Right. Absolutely. You, you don't, I've heard people in the MMA sphere, be like, yeah, I, I use weightlifting differently than, than other people. I get in and I bang out a bunch, like just a ton of reps. I'm like, as, as, as I was thinking about it, I was like, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand why you would approach it that way. Why wouldn't you just get stronger? Well, they Why, think they're getting stronger. Yeah, I, I guess so. One of the guys said, yeah, I'm not trying to lift the absolute most. I'm just trying to, to have endurance. So I was like, okay, but I, I don't know. I just like, why? <laughs> Why not get stronger? Because then you, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't need as much endurance in your fights if you got way stronger, like significantly stronger. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Cool. So, um, well, thank you for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Or where can people find you? Um, you can find me. My website is liftfightwin.com. Um, Sweet. it's, uh, I, I post things there occasionally, uh, startingstrength.com. Uh, I'll, I've got a bunch of articles and videos on startingstrength.com. You can search my name and, uh, all, I've got some specific videos on, or, or I'm sorry, specific articles on jujitsu and conditioning and stuff like that. Um, Rip and I do the podcast every week. So starting strength radio, um, is on, uh, Apple Podcasts and and Spotify and all those things, so I'm on there with with Rip, it's Rip's show, but I'm in the background talking usually a bunch too, and then um, uh, we we do seminars here in Wichita Falls every other month. I do workshops around the country for strength training. Uh, if you, John Valentine and I are doing an, another lift shoot fight workshop here in Wichita Falls in December. That's December 17th and 18th. Cool. So we'll teach you how to lift. We'll hit the range, and then we'll uh, we'll put it all together. We'll teach you how to how to clinch and uh, use your gun in a clinch. So those are the, the big ones. Awesome, cool. Well, thanks again for coming on, and I hope we can do this again. Absolutely, anytime, man. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to the Combat Learning Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. It really helps us out. Finally. This episode, including the intro music, is produced by Micah Peacock. Thanks in advance, and I'll see you on the next episode.